Today's scripture comes from Galatians 5, verse 22 to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, uh, let me pray. Father, we thank you that in your uh, divine, perfect plan, uh, you have arranged it that we might talk about the fruit of the Spirit, that we might hear uh, your desire for your people this morning in this way. Lord, I ask that you would, by your Spirit, uh, give us eyes to see, uh, ears to hear what you are speaking to us through your word. Lord, that we might leave today uh, by your Spirit, being able to obey and to submit uh, to your leading. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, good morning. I'll add my welcome to Heath's welcome. My name's Jake. I'm part of the team here. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. As Brett mentioned last week, this week we're taking a bit of a deep dive in Galatians 5, uh, looking at the fruit of the Spirit. At the fruit of the Spirit. For some of you, that might be new. Uh, for others of you, you can't help but think of like a song uh, when you think of the fruit of the Spirit. And so I realize we're coming to this f- from different perspectives this morning. Uh, as a way of introducing this topic, I, I want to ask the question, what does your external life show about your internal life? What does your external life tell us, tell you about your internal life? Uh, In Luke's account of one of the most famous sermons ever given, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Luke records Jesus saying this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Uh, It it can be an intimidating question, but I think it's one that needs to be asked. What does your external life show about your internal life? For Jesus, the equation was was really clear, really simple. Uh, Just as an apple tree bears apples and not, say, oranges— and an orange tree bears oranges and not say apples, so too do the words that we speak, the things that we say, are they directly linked to to those things that we treasure up in our heart, that we love and and, and desire. Uh, Elsewhere in this very sermon, uh, Jesus will say something like this. Listen, where where your treasure is, there your heart is also. What you buy, what what you spend your time doing, uh, that's how I know what you love. A great discipleship question when I'm meeting with people is, let's look at your bank statement. What do you love? I'll show you what you love. A lot of Netflix, right? See, while we might be able to to fake it for a little bit, maybe just for a little bit, ultimately our internal lives and what we desire will be exposed in, in our actions. And I want us to take this connection between what is going on internally and its external manifestations. And I want us to think about this as we look this morning at the fruit of the Spirit. This relationship between what is happening inside of us and what is happening outside of us. For the Galatians, you know this, their external life, what they're doing, is of utmost importance to them. It's at least of utmost importance to Paul. And, and yet, Paul has spent 
uh, four chapters of this letter, not saying, hey, do this and do this and do this. But he started with indicatives, right? He's saying, this is who you are in Jesus. This is what God has done for you. He's reminding them again and again and again and again, and perhaps to your annoyance, again and again and again of the gospel. And it's not until the fifth chapter that Paul actually gets through the imperatives. This is what you are to do. This is how you are to live. He begins in the indicative. What has Jesus done for you? Who are you in Christ? See, if we were to refresh ourselves, Paul's gone to great lengths to show that it's by grace, through faith, not, not in our work, but in the faithfulness of Jesus, that we're made right with, with God, with our Heavenly Father. And so we don't do works of the law to the aim of making ourselves right with God. Rather, our union with Christ, our union with Christ, which we received by grace through faith, expresses itself or works itself out in love. Now, you might be thinking this, Jake, it's not that simple. It's not that straight of a line, is it? And Paul knows it's not that simple. It's why last week he talked about the flesh and our struggle with the flesh. If you weren't here last week, Brett defined the flesh as the sinful desires of your fallen nature. The sinful desires of your fallen nature. The question of what are we to do is complicated, made difficult, made winding by the very fact that we want to do the very things that are opposed to our new spirit life in Jesus. The war has been won, as Brett said, but the battle rages on. And as the question we began with tells us, it's not a battle that we're kind of guessing at as to how it's going. No, it's a battle that that we have front row seats to, isn't it? It's a battle that we can observe and, and sort of, you know, take stock of as we witness, as we look at what fruit is being born in our life. There's no guessing here, Paul says. We can see how this battle's going. And so again, we ask, what does your external life show about your internal life? What's going on in your heart? What you love, what you desire. Now, having seen what it is to crucify the flesh last week, this morning, we want to zero in on these fruit of the Spirit. And I want to do this through three headings. Three headings that ask three questions. And the first heading is this. Intention. Intention. How is a Christian demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit any different than somebody uh, who's not a follower of Jesus doing good deeds? How is this any different? And so intention is the first one I want us to look at. Second is cultivation. Cultivation. Is there any role for us to play in the cultivating of this fruit uh, in our life? And then thirdly and finally, anticipation. What hope? allows us to persevere as we seek, as we strive, as we fight to walk by the Spirit. And so intention, cultivation, and anticipation. So first, intention. Here's a question. Is the fruit of the Spirit just a Christian-y way uh, to encourage people to be nice, to be patient, to be, to be kind, right? As Mark says, is Christianity just the opiate of, of the masses? Now, further... Maybe you had in your mind last week a thought that sounded like this. My Aunt Mabel, she's the most generous and loving and kind and joyous person in the world. And guess what, preacher man? She's a Buddhist. What what, what do you do with that? 
How, how do we respond to that question? In other words, what distinguishes fruit that is born of the Spirit in a Christian from these traits that you and I see in other people who don't know Jesus, who, who we believe would not be filled with the Holy Spirit? And I'll give away my answer out of the gate, and, and it's this. The fruit of the Spirit, being born of the Spirit of God, are intended, have the one sole focus of bringing glory to God. The fruit of the Spirit have this one sole laser-like focus of bringing glory to God. Uh, to quote the Sermon on the Mount again, Matthew five fourteen to 16, Jesus says this, listen, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And look at verse 16 here. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works in what? Man, Jake, you killed it this week. Right? Or, you know what? Holly and Kids Ministry, she's the best. You know, she's the greatest. Let's give glory to Holly here. No. That they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The Sermon on the Mount is all about Jesus' ethic of living in Jesus' kingdom. And it is very, very, very important that Jesus begins this sermon about how we are to live as followers of Jesus with this basic belief that it is God who is changing our behavior. And because it is God who is changing our behavior, the things we do by his spirit, guess who gets the glory? God, God does. Right? God gets the glory. Remember, Brett said this last week, the fruit of the spirit is the fruit of the spirit. It's not by accident that Paul said the works of the flesh, and then he said uh, the fruit of the Spirit. He did not say the works of the flesh and then the works of the Spirit. No, he says the works of the flesh, the things that you and I do naturally, right? this remaining part of our sinful nature, and the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit is doing in us by grace through faith. See, the role of the Spirit in the world is to glorify Jesus. And the ultimate goal of the Spirit in your life is to glorify Jesus as he produces fruit in you. What does the Spirit want to do in you? He wants to make a big deal about Jesus as he bears this fruit in you. As he makes you more and more like Jesus. Now, Jared Wilson, he's this author, this pastor in the United States. And he wrote this book called A Supernatural Power for Everyday People. Supernatural power for everyday people. I was thinking this week, if that book was on a bookshelf, like in Kitsilano or in you know, Commercial Drive, people would be picking that up, right? Supernatural power for everyday people. That speaks to our culture, doesn't it? And they would find out it's about the Holy Spirit. They'd be like, ah, dang. <laughs> in that book, Wilson writes, this is so good. Listen to this. Nothing the Spirit gives us or does for us is meant to culminate in our own glory. Even when he is comforting us, strengthening us, guiding us, and enlightening us, he is doing so that we might better magnify Christ. Now, what does this have to do with the question of how we answer Aunt Mabel and her legendary loveliness? Consider with me the context of Galatians. The Galatian church was being told they need to add works of the law to faith in Jesus. But Paul says really clearly at the beginning of Galatians 2.16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. No behavior, no matter how outstanding, 
is able to justify a person before God. And, and if that thought is new to you, uh, we have about 20 weeks of sermons online on iTunes that, that basically are making this point in, in 20 different ways. Paul is very concerned with, with making this point. I'd encourage you, go and listen to them. And so the kindness and, and the generosity and, and the love that Aunt Mabel shows to others is impotent, is unable to bridge the gap between her and the father. But I want to press this even further, and I know this might be uncomfortable, but, but I'm going to do it anyways. More than that, Aunt Mabel, first off, if your name is Mabel, I really apologize this morning. <laughs> Aunt Mabel is a glory thief. She's a glory thief. Consider with me Aunt Mabel the Buddhist. Aunt Mabel is extraordinarily patient because Aunt Mabel, faithful to the Buddhist philosophical worldview, believes that attachment leads to emotions like anger. And so what does Aunt Mabel do? She doesn't attach herself to anything. Not seeing how the Lord wants to renew all of her, including her emotions, including her desires. Not seeing how the Father sent the Son to experience all of our garbage. And Jesus wept. Aunt Mabel keeps the glory to herself as she wills herself to detach from all things that might potentially elicit unwanted emotions in her. Or consider Aunt Mabel the secular humanist. And if you don't know what secular humanism is, just watch the Lego movie. Secular humanism, right? I, this is the past week. I was at the movie theater with my kids, and we we're watching the Lego movie together. And basically, the point of the movie is, listen... Everything's not awesome all the time. They make that turn this time, number two. Everything's not awesome all the time. I can give you a whole theology of Lego movie afterwards if you like. But what's our hope? Stick together. You know, if we just work together, friends, let's do this thing, right? Right? That, that's secular humanism. We don't need God. We don't need any sort of divine intervention. We can do it on our own. See, Aunt Mabel, and for Aunt Mabel... That fat check that she cuts each year to the Red Cross is akin to laying a brick at the Tower of Babel. Come, let us make a name for ourselves. Look how good we are. God? No. We can do it on our own. Again, Aunt Mabel proves herself to be a glory thief and an idolater. As I say these words, I recognize that this is not a popular message. But it's having the glory of God as the intended result which separates the Christian fruit of the Spirit from the good deeds of Aunt Mabel. This is the unequivocal witness of the New Testament. Consider Romans 15.7. In Romans 15.7, Paul writes, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why should we be hospitable to one another? Why should I open my home, both to Christians and non-Christians? Why should we do that? Paul says, Romans 15, 7, to the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, Paul makes this big blanket statement. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for what? The glory of God. Or in his letter to the church in Philippi, which speaks again exactly to this, the fruit of righteousness has its end, has its goal in giving glory to God. Paul writes, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Friends, see the end here. See the aim. To the glory and praise of God. Spirit-produced fruit is 
proven in who gets the glory, who gets the praise. But if we can belabor this point for a minute, when we talk about fruit of the Spirit, I don't want us to think that we're just talking about some sort of you know, general, sentimental niceties. But the fruit of the Spirit, yes, gives glory to God, because guess what? It's rooted in the character and nature of God. Look with me at Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Paul writes there, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, Paul says, there is no law. Now, Brett showed us last week that this list isn't exhaustive. That there are more fruit of the Spirit. But each of these fruit needs to be understood in view of the God who gives them by His Spirit. So what I want to do is I want to go through this, this fruit of the Spirit, these, these fruit of the Spirit, if you will. And I want us to ask this one question. Where have I sort of imported or brought in a worldly definition of this fruit? And it shapes actually how I think about it. How am I thinking about this fruit sort of just horizontally, like as we would sort of explain it, and not in view of who God is and what, what he's done? Ready? Love. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And we love love. We love love. Love is great. I, I had a kombucha yesterday that was flavored love. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I was like, perfect sermon illustration. I was so stoked. Right, love that Paul's talking about here, again, is not the love of the infatuation of, of Hollywood. Spirit-empowered love is other-centered and self-giving, and it was seen most perfectly at the cross of Jesus Christ. In Philippians 2, Paul says that God did not think equality with man a thing to be grasped, but rather emptied himself, taking the likeness of man, and, and died a death on the cross. Love. Love. And we're called to imitate that as followers of Jesus. Joy. Joy. The joy of the Spirit is not necessarily that which accompanies a winning lottery ticket. If you're watching March Madness right now, it's not necessarily that which accompanies a winning a game that you shouldn't have won. But joy, rather, as one commentator says, is rooted in the pleasure of knowing God, of experiencing the friendship of the Holy Spirit of being assured of one's place in God's people and God's good future. Peace. Peace by the Spirit is more than tranquility. It's more than two weeks a year on a beach in Fiji. It's more even than the absence of conflict. It's both the peace that comes from being united to Christ now and forever, and in turn, the peace that you and I are to bring to the world as peacemakers, right? Beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. Paul says we have this ministry of reconciliation. We have this peace in Christ, but we also bring the peace of Christ. And patience. We can just skip over that. That doesn't apply to me. Spirit-empowered patience is more, but it's not less than being good at waiting in line at the coffee shop. It's more, but not less than being patient as the person in front of you drives 40 in a 60 zone. Our patience is, is rooted in God who has not done away with a fallen humanity. Paul, over and over and over again, the New Testament, over and over and over again, 
describes God's dealing with us as being patient dealings. He's patient with us. In view of this, we resist temptation and seek steady and sure growth towards godliness, both for ourselves and for other people. We are patient with ourselves and with with, with other people. I I was 19 years old. I was uh, three years uh, into my Christian life, and so I knew everything. Right? That's how it works. Three years into, I got this thing figured out, right? And I was at Bible college. And and I saw my my peers, and I went to the leader of the Bible college, and I said, look at these pagans. Right? Look at these people. They're not holy like I am. They they haven't got together. Where's their fruit? And, And I remember the leader very clearly preached patience to me. Patience. Patience with ourselves and with others. Now, if patience could be said to be the the passive trait of love, then kindness, kindness is love's active component. Uh, That same commentator, David De Silva, he says, kindness helps the other person to feel love's touch. Goodness. Goodness carries with it the principle of generosity. Again, in view of God's generous and good dealings with us, we deal generously and well and even extravagantly with other people because God has dealt extravagantly with us. Faithfulness. In a wishy-washy, flaky world. Faithfulness. Faithfulness also could be translated reliability or, or loyalty. It isn't just about showing up on time, though again, it's not less than that. It speaks, rather, to our willingness to stick with someone or a group of people, even in the face of their apparent disdain for us. And let me say this. For a church that wants to remain in the neighborhood and serve a neighborhood and be here for a long time, faithfulness is very, 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 very important. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Gentleness doesn't necessarily mean that you, you know, buy Birkenstocks and you grow your hair out long and you speak very softly, right? Although it, it, I guess it could mean that. Uh, but gentleness that is born of the Spirit in a Christian speaks to, and listen, the anger or power that we withhold for the benefit of the other. The anger or power that we withhold for the benefit of the other. Just as God has dealt gently with us in the Son, Jesus, so too do we deal gently with others. It's demonstrated when we confront and correct one another in love. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 25 this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And finally, self-control. Brett, Brett is going to spend all of next week talking about self-control. And so this morning, it's enough for me to say, self-control speaks to our ability not to be dictated by the desires of our flesh. And so with this in mind, with, with this being said, the, the next time someone wants to talk to you about love and joy and peace and patience and, and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and, and gentleness and self-control, it's worth asking the question, what do you mean when you say that word? What, what do you mean? Because what I'm talking about, what, what Paul's talking about is rooted in the nature and character of God. Where does your definition of these words come from? 
See, the fruit of the Spirit are distinct from the good deeds of Aunt Mabel in their intention, in their aim, in their ultimate goal of giving glory to God. What we should ask now is how do we go cultivating, go about cultivating these fruits in our life? So if you have your Bible, Galatians 5, 22 to 25, let's look there again. You with me? Yeah? Galatians 5, 22 to 25. Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, Brett said last week two things. He said, one, we need to crucify the flesh. And he said, this is this graphic depiction of repentance. And so we crucify the flesh. We, we, we nail it to the cross for it to die there, for it to, to suffocate. We don't go and, and rip it off the cross and begin doing CPR on it and you know, bringing it back to life and, and making friends with it again. No, we, we crucify the flesh. This graphic depiction of repentance. But in addition to crucifying the flesh, we also, Paul says, we keep in step or walk in step with the Spirit. Now, I was struck this week about how I think about this verse. See, maybe you, like me, think about this verse in, in this way. Uh, I'm a, I, let's say, I'm a business unto myself. Jake is a business. And I think of the Spirit. He comes in, and he gives me some spiritual consulting. He does some spiritual consulting work. He tells me what's wrong, where I need to go, and then he leaves. And then he departs and lets me get on with my life and the, the things that I need to do, the things that I'm supposed to do. But that's not the picture of walking by the Spirit that Paul has in mind here. See, Jake, the business, uh, Holy Spirit comes in. Uh, he doesn't want to be a spiritual consultant. He's CEO, chair of the board. He is taking control of your life so that it might glorify Jesus. How many of us have relegated the role of the Spirit in our life to that of some sort of spiritual consultant? I'll take advice here or there, maybe some pointers, you know, like bumpers in bowling. But ultimately, I'm in control. The Spirit comes to control our lives. We relinquish control to the Spirit, to the glory of Jesus. Now, all of these things, both the crucifying and the keeping in step, these are only accomplished by the power of the Spirit. Don't mishear me. But it is us who crucify the flesh. It is you and I who obediently submit to the Spirit's leading. It's why later in Galatians 6, 7 to 8, Paul will continue this agricultural imagery. He keeps it going. He loves it. Galatians 6, 7 to 8, he'll say that we can either sow to the flesh or sow to the Spirit. Look there with me. Galatians 6, 7 to 8 says this. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. There is no fancy sort of application here. It's, it's really, really simple. Christ City, uh, to which are you sowing? To which are you sowing? Are you sowing to the flesh? Are you sowing to the flesh as you indulge your fallen nature in sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, 
Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, or frat parties, as Brett told us last week. Or, or, are you sowing to the Spirit as you, empowered by the Spirit, seek to give glory to God in reflecting His attributes of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and and gentleness and self-control? Do not be deceived, Paul says, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And maybe this morning you're here and you've sown some pretty terrible things in your life. Uh, you've said, you've done, you've given approval to those things of which you're now ashamed of. Are those seeds permanently and irrevocably planted? Is God unable to dig them up and in their place sow the Spirit? Christ said, you hear the gospel this morning, hear the good news this morning, by no means. By no means. 1 Peter 3.18, the Apostle Peter reminds us there, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's you and I, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. In the greatest act of mercy and grace the world has has ever seen, it says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And through the crucifixion of Jesus, put to death in the flesh, and the resurrection of Jesus, made alive in the Spirit, you and I, in Christ, are able to crucify our flesh by the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that's the gospel this morning. That's the good news. That in Jesus, we can have forgiveness of sins. The righteous dying for the unrighteous. What does it take? Faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. The same thing we've been saying for 22 weeks now. Faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, look around you. This is not the place of people who sort of came to some sort of epiphany altogether. This is not those who have come and have the secret knowledge. This is a place of people who have recognized their unrighteousness and have trusted in the righteousness of Jesus. The invitation to you this morning is the same. Now, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not this morning, the call to all of us is also the same. Crucify the flesh and keep in step with the Spirit. Repent and allow the Spirit to transform your life. Intention, cultivation, and now finally, anticipation. What hope allows us to persevere as we walk by the Spirit. I want to say this. All of this talk of fruit, all of this talk of Galatians 5, all of this only makes sense if Jesus is coming back. If Jesus is coming back, who cares? If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, let let me ask, to what end, with what purpose, are you pursuing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Why do these things? Who has told you that it is the right thing to do? On what basis have they said that it's the right thing? How are they distinguishing up from down, good from bad, right from wrong? See, the fruit has an intended aim, the glory of God. And if that's a goal, it's a goal full of hope. Full of hope. A hope that will be fully realized at the return of Jesus. See, see Christ City, hear me this morning. One day, Jesus will return and the war between flesh and spirit, and maybe this is a war that you're just in the thick of right now. And hear this hope this morning. 
One day the war between flesh and spirit will cease. It will be over. And we will only know what it means to walk by the Spirit. We will only know what it means to do that which pleases the Lord. And this is exactly what Paul says in Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this. Hear Paul's confidence. And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The work that God has begun in you, the fruit that he is producing by his Spirit... Christian, hear this good news this morning. Those of you in, in, in the midst of the battle right now, he's going to finish that work. He's going to complete that work. Paul says, and I am sure of this. I am confident in this. The other-centered and self-giving love that we struggle to show. One day, that will be the only way that we relate to other people. The joy that so often eludes us today. That of knowing God, the joy of the friendship of his spirit, the assurance of being his people, having our future secure. One day, that will be a joy that we cannot shake if we tried. The gentleness that is missing when we speak truth without love. One day, that will be ours once and for all when Jesus comes back. When we sing and speak and proclaim the truth of God's glory to one another forever in the community of love. In Christ City, do you have that assurance of hope this morning? The assurance of hope that God is not done with you. That he, and hear this, especially in the trials, in the suffering, in the persecution in your life, that he is in those things, working something in you to the praise of God's glory, something that will be brought to completion at the return of his son Jesus, that the fruit he is bearing through his spirit's indwelling presence in you is an appetizer, is a foretaste, is a nibble of the things to come. And to exactly this point, Charles Spurgeon, 19th century a preacher, teacher, once said from his pulpit about this passage, this thing, the text speaks of fruit. And fruit comes only of a rooted abidance. It could not be conceived of in connection with a transient sojourning, but like that of a wayfaring man. And inasmuch as I read of the fruit of the Spirit, listen to what Spurgeon says, I take comfort from the hint and conclude that he intends to abide in our souls as a tree abides in the soil when fruit is born by it. Rooted and grounded in Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, our tree that is, is struggling, is battling to produce fruit today, Christ City, it will not be uprooted. It will not be torn down. One day, our tree will display that fruit as it was always intended to the praise of God's glory. Would you stand with me as we respond this morning? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.